0: Ladies and gentlemen, ladies Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. we
1: love movies with Gordon Hayden. This
0: film blew me away. What's your favorite scary movie? McLovin? You can't handle the truth. That escalated quickly. And the winner is We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. Is Tom Hardy set to be the new James Bond? Well, there's an awful lot of rumors circulating that... Mad Max himself will play the new James Bond when Daniel Craig departs the role after No Time to Die, which is set for release in November. I still have a question mark over that film being released in November, to be perfectly honest with you. But Craig has said, five Bond movies and I'm done, and No Time to Die is his fifth instalment. So, who will take over as Bond? Will it be Tom Hardy? And if it is Tom Hardy, Christopher Nolan could be the director, because Christopher Nolan has said himself he'd always like to make a James Bond movie, but... He wanted to take on directing duties when they wanted to restart the series with a brand new Bond. And we all know he works well with Tom Hardy. Could Christopher Nolan be in line as well to direct if Tom Hardy gets the gig? We'll be talking about that in greater detail a little later on. We'll also have a roundup of all the big movie stories from the week. And we'll be going through some of the new releases out this week, such as Enola Holmes on Netflix. We'll also be taking a look at some uh, Blu-ray releases that you may be interested in such as Scoob and Le Mans 66. We've got lots to come on this week's We Love Movies with me, Gordon Hayden. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Then we love movies. We're going to talk All Things James Bond. And no, it's not going to be No Time to Die. We're not previewing that film, but we're going to talk about who Daniel Craig's successor is going to be, because there's a big rumor circulating around Tom Hardy that it's pretty much a done deal that the current Mad Max is going to become the new 07. But is he really true to this rumor? Well, our man, Andy McCarroll, has been digging deep to try and find out, and he joins me now. Andy, I'm a little unsure about this story, if I'm being brutally honest with you, but what do we know so far? Like, who's been behind this story, and you, is there any, are they a credible source from the, in, the, in the first place?
2: It's looking like they're they're not the most credible. It's come from nobody official. There's nobody at Sony, nobody from Tom Hardy's people, or even Tom Hardy himself has even spoken about the rumor. So it all seems to have originated from a site called The Vulcan, which is not exactly where I get all my news it has just built up a complete head of steam, though. So there, I think there may be something to the fact that this has been leaked to a site to try and get a bit of momentum and see, you know, take basically the public's temperature and how they feel Tom Hardy would be. I don't think it's true for a couple of reasons. One, you absolutely would not announce the new Bond before the other film, No Time to Die, comes out. you essentially, every conversation you have on that press tour then is like, going to be talking about Tom Hardy and not about the... And that would be seen as a lame duck film until this comes around. Second, Tom Hardy is tied up with uh, with Venom as well for the time being. And he's not someone who seems to be a fan of getting himself tied down in franchises. So to go from none to, to have two, possibly three if Mad Max takes off, I would be very skeptical about that so far. I don't know what your thoughts on that are.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with you, Andy, because, yeah, the that Vulcan report, it did say that the plan was that the Bond producers were going to announce Tom Hardy in November. And as we all know now, that because of the, the coronavirus and the constant uh, shifting of schedules, No Time to Die was due to come out in April. And then it got moved to November. And the Bond movies have, over the last few years, have generally come out in November. And it's always been a month that's worked really well for them. Like the way Star Wars is, fares better at Christmas as opposed to coming out in the summer. And we saw that with solo. Anyway, go off on a tangent there. Mm-hmm. But um, it would be crazy, um, according to this um, Vulcan report, that Tom Hardy was going to be announced as new Bond in November. That just does not make sense at all. And that, for me is the big big red flag because if anyone remembers when daniel craig was announced as james bond it was a big deal he came down the thames um on a on a speedboat god love him he looked like totally like a fish out of water with the um with the life jacket on he he looked as if a man that wasn't really ready for bond and there was a, he got a lot of flack at the time Do you remember that um yep. there was even a website uh Bond, not Bond, or something like. Oh, yeah, all of these sites were going around, and turned out to be a great James Bond. in, In fairness to him, and he tried to do something really different with the role. But the thing is, Tom Hardy, again on paper, he sounds like a good, credible choice, Andy. I don't believe he's going to be it for that reason. That I don't think they would announce it in November. I think that would be crazy because, yes, as you mentioned too, it would take away from No Time to Die. But also, Andy. If they were to cast Tom Hardy, I don't see what he's going to do that would be different from Daniel Craig. It just feels as if he's just going to take the baton and then just keep going with the same type of films. Because if we look at the Bond movies to date, even the Pierce Brosnan films, it was like they were trying best to to, uh, remove the shackles of the Roger Moore years, but they were still keeping elements of the over-the-top zaniness, which really came to the prominence in The Die Another Day, which was an awful film. And they knew they had Jason Bourne breathing down their necks, hence why Daniel Craig's films were very much, you know, boots on the ground. Let's make it as realistic, as it were, as possible. But I just think Tom Hardy, it's going to be more of the same with him. I, again, I'm going to throw it back to you, Andy. I just don't know. if I want to see more of the same. I think I want to see Bond being shook up again.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think you're going to get that you know, the physicality bond as opposed to the kind of you know, the the sleek and slender. You know, we, we'd say Brosnan was. I also think Tom Hardy is too famous for this. It, bond tends to kind of cast people on the come up now. They don't cast established stars, and I think having Tom Hardy in that is also very distracting because you know you've got a list star Tom Hardy as James Bond as opposed to you know you think Pierce Brosnan the first thing you think of was Bond. You think Craig? He's Bond that role tends to define them rather than have, you know, an established star come in to your point though. I would like to see them shift. I, as much as I love the Daniel Craig ones, what I love about Bond is just the ridiculousness. of I love the the gadgets. I love the cars. I'd like to see them kind of shift it the other way, have someone who maybe hasn't got the physicality of Craig or Tom Hardy and needs to kind of rely on these gadgets to help them. You know, there's been you know rumors around Tom Hiddleston or, my and your personal choice i think dan stevens somebody like that who, who you're shifting away from the craig one and you can kind of take it in a different direction it doesn't have to be you know serious dour bond and you can go back to you know the kind of the fun ones for you know for want of a better term with you know the likes of you know, something like goldeneye which i really enjoyed i thought that was a nice balance of semi-serious but also you know just absolute mental crack as well
0: I th- I totally agree with you. I think maybe yeah, the physicality they maybe need to pull back a little bit and I think people do want to see some of the gadgets and some of the early days you know a little bit more fun a little bit more humor brought in maybe not as wink wink like the roger moore years which really tried to play up the comedic side of it but here's a couple of scenarios just to throw at you andy if they were going to shake up bond a little bit because casino royale was very much like a reboot it was almost here is bond starting out again essentially here's two that i'm going to throw at you one is why don't they just completely change up the timeline altogether? and like set bond back in the day when it would be like, say, the 60s, would say something like a Dr. No type of scenario back then. You could bring in someone who could fit that mold. I'm thinking like Aiden Turner, someone like Dan Stevens, who would very much feel like a real 1960s swinging type of bond. I don't know. For me, Tom Hiddleston seems a little bit out of the race. I think his stock value has gone down over the last few years, and I don't know if that's out of the, off the back of that debacle of a relationship with Taylor Swift it, it, for me he lost a lot of credibility there and i don't know if he still has what it would what you would need for bond i don't know if he's been tarnished or the other scenario is that they go very young and they have someone who has just it's just a young man to play bond um who has just been given his 007 license this is him. it's like it's like batman year 1 bond year 1 it's pretty much him starting out Trying to get to grips with the gadgets, making mistakes because we never see that so much with Bond because he's always just um, uh, he, he he's so well trained that it, it, like the way Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible just takes it to another level like it's he, he can do no wrong. At least Bond has some sort of flaws, but I would like to see someone just trying to get to grips with 007. So there's my two scenarios. One, they completely change up the timeline. They go actually go back into the past and set Bond maybe in the in '60s type. Or we see someone fresh out of, uh, out of you know, out of maybe um, the SAS. School. <laughs> exactly, there is my school. And they become double seven. I don't know, Andy, if any of those um, tickle your fancy?
2: I like the second idea. I'd, actually, I like both ideas. The reason I don't think they will do the first one going back to the 60s is... For a ridiculous reason, the sponsorship money that Bond brings in, like Bond was pushed back at the start of uh, when COVID happened because Asian cinemas hadn't opened, and the Asian market is the highest buyer of Omega watches or Amigo, is wherever you pronounce that. It sponsored something like fifty million into the film, so they were like, "Well, we." want to you know pitch this as much as possible so i don't know how much of you know bottles of Heineken or you know uh, bmws or Audis you can have in a, a 1960s bonds so that could rule that one out i do like the idea of a kind of you know essentially james bond jr coming out and starting off from scratch i'm gonna put two names to you now and you're going to hate both of them Henry Golding, I think, would be absolutely fantastic if you were to take this. Um, yes. For those who don't know, he's from Crazy Rich Asians. Last Christmas, he's in The Gentleman as well. I think he very much has that kind of suave Bond charm, very like kind of you know, that that Pierce Brosnan, not in the wing thing. But he is, you know, he's a big physical guy as well. So I think he definitely could bring a lot of the the charisma to Bond. Like you could really see people being drawn to him, and that it would also make Twitter catch fire if he got caught as well along with my second name, which kind of leads into your one as well, going youngwood, I think Harry Styles wouldn't be a bad choice. And judging by your silence on the other end of the phone, you 100% agree with me as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and do you know what? I was not expecting that one at all. I was I was thinking, oh, Andy's probably going to go with your man from Mac Mafia or something like that. <laughs> like, you know, uh, or or the, or the, God, his name is just escapes you now. The actor that was in um, Game of Thrones, The Bodyguard, oh, and he's going to be in The Attorney Richard Madden. Richard Madden, there we go. Someone like that, or even Killian Murphy. I know he's at 11 to 1 at the moment to play Bond. Um... Mm, Harry Styles. The thing is, right, I'm... You know, you know what, Andy? I wouldn't rule him out. My only thing is, he seems still a bit untested as an actor. And on, I wonder, because of... You mentioned that the Bond producers like to get someone very much on the way up. Even though he's on the way up as an actor, do people still see... Still see it's Harry Styles. That would be the only thing I think could take away from him because age seems to be an important factor here as well, Andy. Like if they were to, if we go back to Tom Hardy for a sec, if they were to cast him, what is Tom Hardy now? Is he about 43? 43, If you have a little Google there, Andy, right? So he is definitely in his early to mid 40s. Um, Daniel Craig at the moment is in his early 50s. So you and he's made five Bond movies at the moment. So, um, so Daniel Craig started in two thousand and six. So they had a really good long stretch with Daniel Craig, and and as you mentioned, he wasn't like he was like a massive A lister when they got him. Like his most prominent film was Layer Cake and and Enduring Love, really. So they weren't like massive hits, but you know he came across really well. Anyway, so I think they want they will want somebody again on the cusp that they can lock in for a number of films. I'm reckon if they got Tom Hardy, I think they'd be lucky if they got three films out of him. And I'm sure they'll want more. What do you think of that?
2: Yeah, and that's why I was kind of going for the more the the holding Harry Styles side of things as well. I think that rules out Idris Elba as well, who was another long running candidate for this and Fastbender. And I think Fastbender would have been a great bond. And certainly for your sixties Bond film, Fastbender is the one I'd be pushing for. Yes. These are ones that they, they want to build the franchise around. That's why I think I think Harry Styles is kind of at that point where um, Robert Pattinson was a couple of years ago, where he's really known for one thing. And I think having a couple of films with him in it, I think he does have that potential to be a great actor. And I think this could be something similar to how when we first saw the, the Batman trailer, a lot of people hadn't seen you know, Pattinson since Twilight. Like, oh, no, there's, there's, there's a lot more here than I thought. I could be completely wrong. He could be the worst actor that ever was or ever will be. But I just think that would be the kind of thing, that's an announcement that would really mix things up. Whereas I think if you get Tom Hardy, people go, yep, that's grand, it's more the same. Whereas Harry Styles, you'd have a very... That's a conversation that's going to run and run, especially now when you don't know when Bond will be back. That's something that could have real legs and could really be something different to to what's going on now.
0: I think they do need to shake it up. And and you know what, I like, Harry Styles, it's a bold choice, Andy. It really is. For someone who well, I've only seen in Dunkirk, I, I don't think he has really done anything else but appear in One Direction videos in terms of any <laughs> acting prowess. Now, I know he's signed up to be in another film, so maybe we need to see just a little bit more of him. But I am sure that they will be in well into pre-production when the next Bond is announced. And yeah, I do think people want to see someone that is not an obvious choice. Tom Hardy just seems too obvious. It's like, yeah, it's Tom Hardy. You know what I mean? And he's going to be a bit of a bruiser in it. And I think we need a different type of bond. I think we do need to, to shake it up all in all. I, and I know ever since we, every year, Andy, we pretty much do this slot, don't we, about James Bond, because the rumors keep circulating. We always sort of narrow down who we think would be great. I know a lot of the bookies would love Killian Murphy. Uh, he's at 11 to 1, as I mentioned, but I still think he's too old. I think he's too old for it. And I think Killy Murphy would be a great Bond villain. There's just something about his the, the steeliness in his eyes that I just don't see Bond. But I see him as a... He would have made a great Blofeld as opposed to that villain for hire Christoph Waltz. And, and also, Andy, I just want to throw it there. I know Henry Cavill's name has been thrown in there. I know he came very close to nabbing Bond back in 2006. He was runner-up to Daniel Craig. I just think he'd be a painful Bond. I, I, I don't know. I just what Henry Cavill, where does he sit with you?
2: I think the same. I, I do like him. I think he um, is better than the Superman movies he's gotten so far. But again, I think he's very similar like to like for Craig. I thought he was great in uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. But I think Bond has to have a certain suaveness to him. And Henry Cavill just looks like a tank these days. And especially if he's doing you know Bond between Superman. You know, a six foot four you know muscle machine walks into a room you know he's hardly the most you know eloquent spy that's gonna blend in and, and get information you're just gonna be like it's obviously him he's built like a goddamn building like
0: absolutely my two personal favorites would be um i was gonna say luke evans no i think he's very much out of the running um dan stevens who i've always flown the flag for who I just think is such a great actor. I really do. And I know he was in that recent Eurovision song, um, Eurovision um, <laughs> uh, contest film with Will Ferrell. And um, he, I think he was the best thing in it. He just, he has charm. He has humor. Yes, he's got the steely look, but there's a warmth to Dan Stevens that Killian Murphy doesn't have. And I just think he would be able to do the nuts and bolts action, have the serious edge but I think really bring a humorous side. So I think he has that. Then you have Aiden Turner. He would be my second choice. And Aiden Turner would probably be a throwback to a little bit of Brosnan with a hint of Roger Moore. And he is a sexy young man, is Aiden Turner. <laughs> like, you know, he's a handsome, handsome man. And there's just something very sophisticated, charismatic about him. I don't know necessarily about the humor too much, and um, I maybe need to work on that because I, I wouldn't want him going down the full Timothy Dalton route where Dalton just played it way too serious because he wanted to really, really um, have the, his bond be the one from Ian Fleming's books. But I, again, Aiden Turner, if he could bring a little bit more humor, I think he could be another strong choice. So, Andy, for you, who, I know you mentioned Harry Styles, but if you, it, who would be your ultimate dream choice, though?
2: For me, I've I've completely just talked myself into, I, I'm not going to steal your pick, Dan Stevens has been our kind of consensus one for a while. I've really gotten on board this week with Henry Golding. The more I, I look, the more I think about, it, the more I think he would be absolutely perfect for, it. never going to happen in a million years, but he would be my pick at the moment and tune in next week when I change it to Jamie Dornan or somebody like that.
0: Lovely. Andy, thank you so much for that. That's Andy McCarroll. Andy's going to be back a little later on and he's going to have a full roundup of this week's movie news. But that is our take on who we think should be the new James Bond. Dan Stevens pretty much for me. Henry Golding for Andy. And the wild card being Harry Styles. Let us know what you think about those choices. You get onto Twitter and let us know. Use the hashtag. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Now, premiering in cinemas for one night only on September 28th is David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet, which serves as Attenborough's witness statement for the natural world. Now, it's going to screen in select cinemas and recently here on We Love Movies, we had the pleasure of catching up with David Attenborough. Here he is recalling some of the experiences he's been lucky enough to have throughout his life. I've been lucky enough to spend my life exploring the wild places of our planet. I've traveled to every part of the globe. I've experienced the living world firsthand in all its variety and wonder. In truth, I couldn't imagine living my life in any other way. I've always had a passion to explore, to have adventures, to learn about the wilds beyond. And I'm still learning. As much now, As I did when I was a boy. And David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet will be playing in select cinemas only on September 28th. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. Now when We Love Movies, we're going to take a look at this week's new releases Because last week we had Bill and Ted face the music in cinemas This week, there's no cinema releases We very much have what's playing on streaming services And what's new to DVD and Blu-ray The most prominent film of note is Enola Holmes from Netflix This is based on the, the Nancy Springer book series And joining me now to review the film is Chris Wasser Hello Chris, how are you? Gordon, I'm very well, how are you doing? I'm very good. Oh, Chris, it it seems like it may have been a burden to undertake uh, reviewing Enola Holmes, but anyone that saw the trailer to this initially, Chris was just like, oh, for God's sake... I did, well, there,
3: there, there was a bit of that, yeah. And, and it's certainly for me, maybe just because of my ignorance in terms of, I had never heard of this book series before. Um, and I'm kind of wondering as well, is there a need to approach, uh, you know, the Sherlock story from another angle? Uh, perhaps there, there, there is in the sense that, you know, this is coming at it from a completely fresh side, that, you know, it's it's based on the Nancy Springer book series, um, but it's looking at, you know, what life might have been like for for Sherlock's uh, younger sibling, um, you know, at a time when the boys had all the fun, at a time when no one would take, you know, a young female detective seriously, at least not one who was still in her teens. Um, so certainly, you know, I, 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 I never heard of the books before. I'm very
0: surprised that the reviews for this have been quite positive. Have you come across on yourself, Gordon? No, Chris. I actually haven't read any reviews yet, to be honest with you, until um, I wanted to kind of hear what you had to say first because really, I was just picking up on what friends and other people were saying on social media, like, oh, essentially, here we go, a female Sherlock Holmes Give me a break! Seriously, can we not come up with something new? Like, granted, I know there's probably was it you know was it Nancy Drew? Remember that she was sort of the yes. um you know when you had the heart. Okay, we're going back into the mist of time here now. Certain people of a certain vintage will remember the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. This feels sort of like Nancy Drew by the way of Sherlock Holmes in a way there. But I did feel a lot of people going like, ah, give me a break! Here we go, like taking Sherlock Holmes and giving it the female twist, and it just felt like ah, a bit redundant. Now you were saying as well, Chris, maybe that may be unfair because like this has been a book series in the past. So, no, I was really only just picking up on what a lot of people were just saying on social media. But you mentioned, there, there have been positive reviews all in all.
3: There have been positive reviews, yeah. And I mean, look, in terms of, you know, taking a, a very famous, uh, a well-loved male character, whether it's a superhero or a famous detective in this case, and giving it the female makeover, I, I do think, you know, look, that's that's absolutely fine. Uh, just the thing that, that annoys me, that we've, we've talked about on this show before is that, you know, why not create a, a new character, uh, a new yeah. female uh, hero, whether it's a female detective superhero. Um, kind of just reinventing an old one seems a bit redundant sometimes. But here we are. And uh, Enola Holmes herself, probably because of the charm and, the, you know, the, the screen presence of Millie Bobby Brown, who's finally been able to do something here that she hasn't... I actually think she she is terrific as Eleven in Stranger Things. But there is something about Stranger Things going into its fourth year now uh, where Eleven is kind of restricted and the character, we've kind of explored nearly everything that character can do as a teenager in terms of all of the characters as well. So it's nice to see someone from that show come out and do something completely different. Um, and she is a bit of a superstar here and she stars as, as Enola, who is, you know, as I say, the younger sibling of Sherlock, uh, played by Henry Cavill and his younger brother, Mycroft Holmes, played by Sam Claflin who again here is very good at playing the uh, pain in the backside character. And she has been brought up by her mother while the two boys are off Detective and you know, being men in London. Um, and her mother is Helena Bonham Carter and she trains her to do everything, you know, to be, you know, a, a, a master... Academic uh, uh, to be a master at martial arts, uh, to be brilliant at puzzles. She's she's ready for anything the world would throw at her, and that's a good thing too. Because on her 16th birthday, her mom goes missing, and there are all these clues about her disappearance that Anola will have to try and solve before her brother does. And so she sets off. She actually she actually flees from her brothers because one of them, not Sherlock, because Sherlock is a nice one here, and we'll get into that a bit later. But Moycroft wants to send her to a finishing school. You know, he's disgusted that she has original ideas of her own and that she wants to do something with her life other than, you know, being married and being a housewife. So she runs away and unfortunately, the whole solving her mother's disappearance case kind of gets pushed to the side when she literally bumps into a runaway lord and tries to help him from his family, who for some reason or other are after him.
4: My mother named me Enola, which backwards spells alone, And yet we were always together and it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me onto the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes. The famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola.
3: There are two paths you can take, Enola. Yours, or the path
0: others choose for you.
4: It is time to find my mother.
0: The game is afoot. Already, Chris, I'm feeling that there might be too much crammed in here. It was like we're going down one route, which is already bubbling away with lots of interesting subplots, and now we're we're going off in a completely different direction. This, to me, sounds like a series that has been crammed into a a running time of two hours.
3: Absolutely, yes. I did spend a lot of this... 123 minute feature and that is far too long for what is essentially a sort of a cartoonish kind of uh you know very family oriented sherlock holmes adventure um i spent far too much of it going slow down just slow down because there is so much breaking the fourth wall uh narration there is far too much narration um i mean it's it kind of plays out like an audiobook at times and you know for me I, it's just a you know it's a personal thing if you're going to break the fort wall I feel as though a character has to earn that or at least take a bit of a breath <laughs> you know between telling us what's going on show, it's that whole thing show don't tell Gordon you know and that yeah. gets a bit annoying in between you know fight sequences there's flashbacks to when Enola is training with her mom, and it kind of you know kills the momentum a bit so there is that sense that you know look we already had a promising enough story Millie Bobby Brown is off on the run to try and find Helena Bonham Carter there's your story so what? It gets distracted by this, you know, runaway Lord, runaway Viscounts angle. It just, it, it seems a bit unnecessary. But I think as well, so one of the biggest problems with this is, that I found quite distracting, was casting.
0: Mm.
3: Now, I, I don't know how you feel about Henry Cavill, Gordon.
0: Oh, let me get it off my chest here about Henry Cavill. I, I'm not a fan of Henry Cavill. And okay. I think the sooner he is replaced as Superman, the better. I just never bought into him as Carlel I know he seemed to go down fairly well on the Tudors, but I haven't seen apart from Mission Impossible for yes, yeah. um, Apart from that. I haven't really seen him do anything on the big screen that has really, you know, made me sit up and go, hmm, he, he's pretty decent. By all accounts, he's good in The Witcher, and in fairness, I haven't watched that, but then the character doesn't really ha- show much emotion. So it seems like he can be very one-note. Witcher fans may be, you know, up in arms over that, but he seemed like a, bit, a good bit of casting there because he could really go down the mannequin route, which he's very good at doing. So... Him as Sherlock Holmes, again, I don't know. I just don't see him as Sherlock Holmes
3: at all. Yeah, well... Well, well, I've I've watched this film now and I still don't see him as Sherlock Holmes. Um, He is just hopeless. And he does not have enough screen time to kind of warrant, because whenever we think about him, he is a big name. And it just seems as though this is a role that could have been filled by anybody.
0: Let us get your your, your score out of 10 for Enola Holmes. Was it a painful endurance test or was there anything about it that made it work for you, apart from Millie Bobby Brown's performance? Well,
3: again, it sounds as though I'm
0: contradicting myself, but...
3: I didn't hate us, you know. I, I I I kept stayed with us, and much of that, if not most of it, is down to Millie Bobby Brown's performance. She is great here, and she is quite charming. And it's sort of like you know Anne with an E, with like a ton of adventure and martial arts and explosive action thrown in. So there is something there. I just wish it had spent more time telling a story with a beginning, middle, and end instead of you know spending two hours spinning plates trying to set up a franchise because that's exactly what it's doing here. It is wide open, not just for a sequel, but an entire franchise. So i have to, I think I'd have to go with, you know, look, five out of 10, I think is fair. And at the same time, if they can tighten things for the next one, I'll go back in.
0: Okay Chris Thank you so much For that 5 out of 10 For Enola Holmes Which is currently On Netflix If you're looking for A new release This weekend Chris Wasser A pleasure as always Chris is our Resident film reviewer And that's it For part 1 Of We Love Movies But still to come We'll be hearing more From Keanu Reeves And Alex Winter About Bill and Ted Face the music And we'll have a roundup Of all the big movie stories From the week We Love Movies Is back shortly We Love Movies With Gordon Hayden Spin You're very welcome back back to We Love Movies with me Gordon Hayden. Now out in cinemas last week was Bill and Ted Face the Music which is the third and final installment in the Bill and Ted series. It sees Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter reunite. They've come back to play these cult characters after being away from them for nearly 30 years. It's been a good old stretch since they last played Bill and Ted and it seems that Lightning has struck. Once again, the film has done reasonably good business stateside. And over here, there's been a lot of positive reviews for the film. The real negative being that it could have done with a bigger budget to really enhance some of the effects and some of the the storyline in terms of the time travel aspect of it. But all in all, the film has its heart in the right place. Bit of a ramshackle type plot. But all in all, there's a lot of love, and the chemistry there between Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter is still very much at the fore. Our Serena Bellissimo, she recently spoke to Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter about reuniting nearly 30 years later for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Here's how she got on.
1: Hey, Death. i it isn't the wild still, Have you come to sue me again? No, Death. Not at all. We just need to talk to you, Death. Talk to the head.
4: Alex and Keanu, it is so great to have you back as Bill and Ted.
1: Thank you.
4: Um, Alex, you guys have been talking about doing this for a long time. Why did it take so long to happen?
1: Well, you know, we we were presented with an idea by the writers and we thought the idea was great. Then they went out and and wrote a script and uh, then it took many years to get financed and I think in the end it really came down to the fans being very, very vocal about wanting another movie, and that's what pushed it over over the top.
4: Kiana, there's a point in the film where Ted says, Bill, my friend, I have a feeling things are going to change in the most outstanding way. When did you realise that people were actually starting to take notice of Bill and Ted, and how did your life change?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess when people would kind of shout out at me from the street... you know, like be excellent or party on dude, or, you know, I'd just see them and they do air guitar. Um, yeah.
4: Well, I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I expected to have fun, but I don't know if it's COVID-19 or whatever, but I didn't expect to be, I did expect to be smiling at the end, but I didn't expect to be shedding tears when it was all over. Alex, how did you feel when it was all over?
1: Um, I think I slept for about a week, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know it was a really lovely experience uh, a lot of us have been friends for a very long time but we haven't gotten to perform together Keanu and I and uh, you know we haven't been kind of back in the trenches all together so it was a very familial experience and we loved working with Dean Parisot. he was an amazing director to work with and the actors we had were so great and they all brought like so much effort and passion to it so um, it was a really lovely experience I'm really really grateful we got to make it I'm looking forward to fans being able to see it.
4: Well fans are going to be thrilled Um, and I love that I'm not going to give anything away because I think that's part of the the great thing about it you're watching it you're seeing all these little easter eggs there is a um, a line that Abraham Lincoln first said in the first film and Ted gets to re-say it and it's basically be excellent uh, to each other and party on dude. Keanu, what motto do you live by?
1: Do I live by? Um, I hope to live by. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I really, I mean, of, of the two quotes, I probably respond most to like, you know, be excellent to each other.
4: And what about yourself, Alex?
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think I would say the same. I think, you know, the idea of, of just being good to to those around you and to yourself, you um, you know, that can create a lot of work for everyone to do in a good way. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, do you know what's good? That you two are back. Thank you so much for bringing fun back to this year. We need it especially.
1: Uh, <laughs> Thank
0: great. you. Thanks so much. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Now we love movies. It is time for the movie news. And joining me once again is Andy McCarroll. Andy, um, some interesting stories out this week, one of which surrounds why ELF 2 never went into production. I always assumed that the reason why we never saw a second Elf movie, even though a lot of people would love to see Elf 2, is because Will Ferrell was like, ah, oh, look, I didn't want to taint the first film. No, no, you've made, when you know you've made a good film, why go back and, and spoil what, what, what the, the first movie by making a redundant sequel? But Andy, it sounds like there might be more to uh, what went on behind the scenes for um, uh, A Promising Elf 2. Can you explain all
2: yeah, I'd always thought that as well. But you gonna you look at Will Ferrell's career and think there's not enough a lot of integrity littered in with that. But the reason this has come to light this was James Caan, who played uh, Will, Filler, Will Ferrell's father in the film, was on a, a radio show this week, and the question of Elf came up, and he said, oh, "I was very excited. We we're going to do a sequel. This is great. I've got a franchise movie now. That his last one was The Godfather. I can make money. My kids can do whatever they want." But the director and Will Ferrell didn't get on very well. Will wanted to do it, but he had final say over who the director was and Favreau didn't want to do it without, didn't want to let the movie, you know, that he'd created go. So it just kind of went to an impasse and and fell apart. Something we we haven't heard before and haven't looked through both their kind of their movies since, they never worked together considering this was, uh, at the time, both of their biggest movies. It's curious that, that one, that this is the reason why it happened and two, that it it hasn't come out till what, like 17 years later. So they've kept... That little feud simmering nicely and, and it's only coming to light now. So I'll be interested to see when they're asked about it how true or false, you know, James Cann's words are.
0: Yeah, it, it, they, they strike me as two guys. You can, I can't believe they would have fallen out. I did interview John Favreau years ago. Sorry to be all named clanging here. Um, <laughs> back in 2008 for Iron Man. And I did go in expecting a different type of person. For a start, he has the worst handshake ever. I, I know this sounds terrible. I really judge someone on a good handshake. I know that's just a personal thing with me. If someone gives me a really weak hand, I'm like, oh, really? That's, I, I don't, I th- there's something about that. So anyway, he, it was like like shaking a wet fish. Like that was like his handshake, <laughs> right? There was nothing there. And then when he was chatting, I was like, I don't know, there was something about him. I, d- I just d- didn't feel an, a, a huge amount of warmth from him at all, which was a bit kind of interesting. And then years later, I interviewed Will Ferrell and he's very warm. Bit, you know, yep. bit eccentric, but, you know, but he is very, very warm underneath it all. And then I went, I think there must have been a clash of personalities there because you've got one in front of the camera. I'm elf. I'm the star. I'm bringing everything. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other behind the camera going, this is my baby. So I wonder, was there an clash of egos when it came to um, this is what I want? No, this is what I think will serve the story better. Hmm. We'll have to watch this space, Andy. Now another story which has definitely been rumbling a lot this week is um, on the Mandalorian because Pedro Pascal, he's had a bit of a problem with John Favreau. This sounds like it could be contagious, Andy. What's been going on there?
2: Yeah, it's the the rumors coming out this month or this week, rather, is that Pedro Pascal was difficult using that famous Hollywood term on that. And he wanted to take his helmet off or scenes, he wasn't happy with the, the costume and how uncomfortable it was. He spoke to the producers, one of which is John Favreau. Got absolutely nowhere at them. And then depending on whose version of the story you listen to, he either went to Kathleen Kennedy, who essentially is, is running Star Wars for Disney, or he went to George Lucas himself who happens to be on the set and basically tried to you know here, can somebody fight my corner here? He was told in uncertain terms, look, you are very replaceable this is essentially the baby yoda show now we've got gia carano as well who's who's lighting up so basically you know ship up or ship out and apart for season two now his character is going to take much more of a back seat and we're going to go in and see you know kind of explore other characters in that world they weren't you know they they were kind of looking for to to negotiate a truce essentially with this so what they've come up with is he's going to spend a lot less. I'm in the costume. He's got two stuntmen who he shares with. And he will essentially be a voice actor for Mandalorian season three if if he is actually asked back. To, a lot of this will hinge on how successful season two is. And I'm sure they're hoping one of the other characters that they spin off to, they might be following them a bit more. But the show is called The Mandalorian. So I don't know how much further away from, from Pedro Pascal's character
0: you can go. It does seem like such a, um, a ridiculous... Um... You know, start throwing their toys out of the pram because Pedro Pascal probably felt, well, I'm very much on the rise, you know, I mean, ever since Game of Thrones, I've got Narcos, I'm going to be seen in Wonder Woman. I want people to see me. And, and, and I think he was getting a little bit miffed that Gina Carano, who you mentioned there, the former UFC fighter now turned actor, she was getting a lot of attention, but he wasn't. And I think he was getting a bit precious about it. But here's the thing. The character of the Mandalorian is kind of like Judge Dredd in a way where you have to wear the helmet. Because otherwise, instead of like the dread, which was Carl Urban, which was a great film, and Carl Urban said, "I'll only take on playing dread if I have to keep the helmet on." He, he wanted to be as have as much integrity as possible to that character. Whereas Sylvester Stallone, I think he took the helmet off after about ten minutes, and you're going, "But that you never see Judge Dread." There's someone who just doesn't get it. And for Petra Pascal, it's a sweet gig, Mandalorian. And for those that need to know about the character, they know who's underneath that mask. And it's crazy, but he felt, oh, we're not going to get to explore certain aspects of the character because, of course, he, you know, it's not like he has the helmet on all the time. There's obviously when he, he has to eat, if he's, uh, you know, there's other parts of his life that he would have the helmet off for. And uh, why can't we see that? But I think the thing about the, um, the, the character is there's, there's a huge element of mystery about it. You take that mask off and then all is revealed and you'll see the man behind underneath the mask and you don't want that and because like a superhero you know you, you don't want to take off the, the 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 cowl essentially so i think to be honest with you andy i think it's a it's a very silly move on pedro pascal's part just on your own take what what do you think
2: yeah 100% like that's such a an integral part of the character like that is you know the the whole armor the whole you know mandalorian mythology and backstory to them is that they don't take off the costume and for him to turn around like he would have known this sign on because it's pretty much the entire plot point of season one is the fact he doesn't you know take off the armor so for him to turn around after season two and say well i want to take this off and do that and all of a sudden you know maybe i'll go shirtless for a couple of scenes it's just absolutely ridiculous which makes me think there might not be a lot of truth to it, but as we've seen before, every single Star Wars film or property, there's some drama behind the scenes. You had Lord and Miller kicked off Solo. You had you know, Rian Johnson, all the, the drama with The Last Jedi. Colin Tavaro was kicked off uh, Rise of Skywalker. So it just seems like they can't do a Star Wars property without somebody throwing their ties out of the pram or Lucasfilm and Disney getting involved and firing somebody. So they had the first season which went really well and now all of a sudden it's just like no things are going too well let's mix it up and cause a bit of drama. so they're, they're certainly not going to fire baby Oda as petulant as I heard he is behind the scenes <laughs> so uh, you know it, it seems you know more like you know that Pedro Pascal is the one who's going to draw the iron now these ones but I, yeah. I don't understand why they can't just make a Star Wars film or TV show without somebody getting fired I think Kathleen Kennedy is, is auditioning for the new season of The Apprentice at this stage
0: but yeah I, I, you just feel like their house isn't in order it, it's like people don't know the roles that they need to have prior to shooting it's like with Lord and Miller you hire those guys because of what they're going to bring and then they do exactly what you've hired them to do and then you fire them because you're not happy about it ridiculous Andy, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. that is a roundup of this week's movie news with Andy McCarroll. And that's our lot for this week on We Love Movies. Thank you so much for your company. We will be back again next Sunday from eight here on Spin with a roundup of what's happening in the world of film. From me, Gordon Hayden, enjoy the rest of your Sunday.